This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. This is Michael Hughes of IISE. I'm here today with David B. Reed, who is the principal team leader for the Understand Imagine team at Chick-fil-A Incorporated. Welcome to IISE, David. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me today. I'm glad to be here. And we're glad to have you. I want to kick off, actually, with a kickoff story about Chick-fil-A. Last year, some friends of mine went up to watch my alma mater, NC State, get pummeled by Clemson. And, of course, we had to stop for breakfast along the way. Everybody wanted Chick-fil-A. I saw the line. I said, you know what? Why don't we go somewhere else? Because the line was pouring out onto the highway, and I figured we'd be there for half an hour. We wouldn't get there in time for kickoff or tailgating or anything like that. They said, Mike, don't worry. Watch this. We were in and out in two minutes, maybe two and a half, and I was amazed. And that's kind of one of the places where I saw industrial engineering at Chick-fil-A at work. Tell me how y'all do that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, and, and first of all, most of the credit goes to our operators and team members who uh, really focus on uh, serving people well by getting them in and out quickly. Michael, we have done a lot of work collectively as a company on drive through and it is a classic uh, industrial engineering problem, um, throughput, how do you increase throughput? 70% of our business in the normal Chick-fil-A comes through the drive-through. So it's a big focus area for us. And as you think about the history of drive-throughs, you know, at the beginning, there was one window where you ordered and got your food and did your payment. And so that was a sequential process, car by car. And then pretty much all chains have gone to a speaker box, which if you think about it, that splits that cycle time Mm -hmm. into two parallel processes. So you can be getting the order and delivering food to another customer. So you've effectively... Classic line balancing. Exactly, exactly. And then we've taken it several steps further than that. So first of all, also when you take the order upstream at a speaker box, you're getting that order to the kitchen quicker. So now you're actually parallel processing the production of the food. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a thing. And then we've kind of taken it, if you've if you've been to a, a, a recent, you know, newer Chick-fil-A lately, there's often two lines of cars. There's often uh, people, we call it upstream ordering, where a, a cashier with an iPad actually comes and takes your order well ahead. Yep. The iPad guys and gals were out there taking our orders. We didn't even go to the, the speaker box. We didn't get to that. And another thing we do is uh, oftentimes we, we like to have an escape lane. We call it so that if you're just getting a number one and a Coke, we can prepare that food and get it to you and let you leave while there are still cars ahead of you waiting for a a monster order, I Mm -hmm. call it. And so for you as an individual, if you've got a small order, your cycle time almost becomes zero at the window. Wow. And so that's one thing we do. Another thing is we have multiple delivery points at the food window. Uh, we typically, we, we don't ever like to send you ahead of the window and say, wait, if you've been to a fast food restaurant, oftentimes that means you have broken the system. We are now crashed and you're the one holding us up and we will get to you whenever we recover. And, that's, and you can be sitting, I've sat out on the side for like 10, 15 minutes. Like, man, I should have just walked in. And you wonder if they've forgotten you. Yes, sir. So we, we try not to ever pull a car ahead. We want it to be a system, but we are often delivering orders up to three to four cars behind so that you can get your food and go ahead. And, and it really reduces overall cycle time and lets us get 
lots more cars through the drive-through. Yeah, I was floored and impressed. And I guess you know I, I attended your uh, your session last year at ELSS 2018 in Atlanta, and I listened to your presentation. You wowed the crowd. But even with that, when I saw the line, I'm like, "There's just no way." How long did it take Chick Fil A to move from the old system? to the new system that's in place now. You have to do it a lot of where you take restaurants and rebuild them because our Chick-fil-A, we've been missing it for a while because it's down for renovations right now. They totally floored it and they're rebuilding it from scratch right around the corner. Yeah, that's a great question. So so we have about 2,200 restaurants and they were built, you know, in the 80s, 90s, thousands, uh, 2010s. And I'd say we probably have about 14 main prototypes. And so a prototype is a certain layout. Right. And basically that was the best thing we knew to build in 1986. And we just, you know, hit the copy button and built 20 or 30 of those, ever how many we were building at that time. And then every year as we come up with better layouts, uh, you know, our menu changes, our service model changes, then we try to incorporate those into the newest buildings going forward. So we're on average, we're building much bigger restaurants than we used to build in the past, and we're building much more efficient layouts. So we've always got, we, we call it uh, stopping the bleeding, means at least from this point or forward, let's let's put all the improvements we have into a restaurant. But then we also talk about going back and fixing the ones that we've already done. And that's a business decision of at what point do we need to reinvest in restaurants. And we do very actively go back and fix restaurants that we've now got improvements for. So back to your question of drive-through innovation, I'd say, you know, we're always trying to think of the next big thing that's going to help us. And some of those, like adding an iPad upstream, that's that's very little investment. It's just an iPad. It didn't change the layout. Buy the iPads, get outside the restaurant, go up to the window, and you've got your process improvement. Right. Exactly. And uh, we've we've got cash payment upstream. That's a whole other thing. If you can get that done before you have the food ready, get it done. And interesting thing is we developed cash payment, you know, and, and a lot of our innovations come directly from operators. They thought of this and said, hey, if we could take their money upstream, we don't have to waste time with that at the at the window. Well, they put a kid out with a fanny pack and $150 cash in his pocket. And mm-hmm. and you've, then we have to come back and say, hey, that's a safety risk. We don't want our team members uh, being a target for somebody to steal. So then we come up with a weighted you know, machine that's chained to the building and those kinds right. of things. So I'd say th- there's different levels of innovation that require different levels of investment. But our goal is to, to move fast. And as soon as we know something works, uh, get it out to the chain as quick as possible. So has it been a series of like, you know, one big improvement here and a second big improvement there? Has it been just a series of over the years, small little continuous process improvements that have over time snowballed and generated this, I'll call it a world record low wait time at a fast food restaurant? Well, I I think it's absolutely both. And when you think about today, we serve 3 million customers a day. If you save five seconds on a transaction, you're, you're saving a lot of time. You're saving a lot of labor. So little improvements are, are our bread and butter. We want to get better, you know, from from week to week if possible. Uh, but then I think every business has to be looking at step 
step change, radical innovation just to stay relevant. And so our mobile app has been a huge thing that was probably five years in the making to build out that infrastructure. But now we're at the place where people can order on the phone, never stand in line. That's inside the restaurant, outside the restaurant. We just recently rolled out where you can order on your app and then just drive through the drive-thru and you tell it, you know, I'm here and I'm in the drive-thru line. That goes into the system and we know when you pull up to the window, you've already paid, you've already ordered. You've paid, you've ordered, your food's there, they walk out, they hand it to you, go to the game, make sure you tailgate fine. That's right. Gotcha. That's really cool. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of your improvements are operator driven. You wrote the May cover story for ISC Magazine. We really appreciate it. It's a wonderful job you did on that. And a lot of that article talked about driving improvements down and engaging your front line. And in the nine years I've been writing stuff and editing stuff about ISEs, I can't tell you how many lines have been there that if you don't get the front line to buy in, nothing is going to work. How did y'all do that? Uh, That's a great question. So first of all, we have a culture from the highest leader at Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, who is passionate about innovation, passionate about let's do things better tomorrow for our customers than we can do today. All the way down to our frontline team members who show up and are trained in hospitality, trained to care for the guests, trained to anticipate needs, and and every level in between, uh, you know, including the engineers, we're always trying to figure out how can we give more value to the customer uh, with less waste and take the waste out of the process. So, in a sense, we recruit for people who have big ideas, who want to do the right thing. Um, But then I think there's also, not not only do you start with a a great culture, uh, you've also got to arm that front line with a way to see waste and a way mm-hmm. to, to think about things. They have to have training to see that these tools actually exist. That's exactly right. And so we've been very intentional about getting lean training out to the front line level. And so here's the way it works for us. We can't afford to roll out lean training to everybody, take people out of the restaurant and train them and all of that. But what we do is we find operators, the 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 guys who run the restaurant, and let them pull for lean training. So okay. that kind of gets you a interested audience to begin with. And they're then, interested in learning this stuff to begin with. You're not forcing it down their throat. That's they're right. Like, hey, what is this lean? That's stuff? right. And then they become so influential with the improvements that they make, with the excitement that they generate, that creates more pull for lean training. And so uh, that's kind of how we've done it. And we we honestly have a one day 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. course where we teach real team members how to do Pareto charts, uh, what the eight waste are, and you know, how to do basic process improvement Mm -hmm. with spaghetti diagrams and things like that. And they leave at the end of the day with a basic tool set of, hey, we could go figure out a problem in our restaurant. We kind of encourage them, kind of give them a template to say, hey, pick one problem that bugs you in your restaurant and focus on it for a month. See what kind of improvements you can make. We offer people to come out and help them and kind of do a Kaizen event with them. And basically then what has happened is we we, wrote about this in the article. We have a Facebook page internal to Chick-fil-A team members where they post things they've come up with and great ideas sell themselves and other teams want to do it. And through that whole system, that makes other restaurants interested in, hey, where did you guys learn to do Mm -hmm. this? We'd like the lead training as well. 
And that also allows the engineers to make sure that, you know, some of the people on the front lines might have some ideas that while they're a great idea, they might impact. I remember mentioning the article food safety and things like that that are critical to quality and you can't really compromise those even if it's going to cut waste in half. You make people sick, they're not coming back to your restaurant. That, that's so that, exactly. that allows the engineers to really kind of keep a handle on it yep. and guide them as well. And so really that that whole, we, we call it the, the sandbox of... Yeah, I remember that word. Yeah, yeah. of... Sandbox is where the team members can play in, make improvements in. And then outside of the sandbox are things that, you know, if your job is to serve the customer a chicken sandwich every day, you don't know everything there is to know about food safety. You don't know everything there is to know about why we did this and why we didn't do this. And so what we've done is we said, hey, here, here's the boundaries that you can work in. And here's the things that we need to help come alongside and decide. And so uh, for, for the restaurant industry, our boundaries are you can't do anything that it harms food safety. And it, and we reserve the right to tell you, hey, that's not a good idea. You you know, hey, I've just figured out we could make a lot more chicken sandwiches if we didn't change gloves. Well, there, there's, a, there's, <laughs> yeah, a there's a reason to change, change gloves. gloves. Yeah. And so, so those are kind of things. So food safety, product quality, you might figure out a faster way to make lemonade, but if it doesn't taste the same as the lemonade right. we make, then we're cheapening the product quality and we want everybody to taste exactly the same lemonade, no matter what store you go to. Because if you like lemonade and you go and it doesn't taste good one time, you might never order lemonade again. That's exactly right. So food safety, product quality, people safety. There's things that, you know, a, a ladder in the restaurant's not a good idea. We, you know, you can stack more in the restaurant, but that comes at a cost of people safety. So we, we kind of set guidelines. you're scrambling up a ladder and if the ladder falls, that's going to definitely, uh, as I say, in a factory, that's going to bring the line down for a little bit. Exactly. And then the final one is, uh, this is kind of my favorite to explain, is uh, you can't do anything that voids a manufacturer's warranty. So we had okay. an idea that went viral uh, of turning the vent on the bottom of of an ice cream machine around so that it didn't blow napkins around in the drive-thru. And it was a great idea. It caught on. All of a sudden, 30 restaurants are doing it and saying, yeah, that's a great idea. And so uh, it came to our attention through the Facebook page. Uh, we contacted the manufacturer and they said, no, 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 no. That's that's where the heat needs to go out. And if you turn it, if you turn it around, it's supposed to blow out toward the hallway. If you turn it around and blow it toward the wall, it's going to overheat the machine over time and wear it out. And so we had to kind of publish and say, hey, great idea. Thanks for thinking of it, it, it would void the manufacturer's warranty. Now, is there ever an example of where uh, a customer associate or team member has had an idea that's just outside of the sandbox that you can't use, but there was enough of a kernel in that idea where if you brought it back, you know, two degrees this way, it's in the sandbox and you can make that improvement? Yeah. And so really, uh, I mean, if you think about it, we, we I believe we have 150,000 team members working in Chick-fil-A's all over the country. And we have 24 uh, engineers. We have about eight industrial engineers, particularly looking at the process. And so when you think about that scale, there's way more problems in the restaurants than our eight IEs can effectively yeah, deal with. I feel like we came up with the best of both worlds that we do have uh, with this lean training. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who work in the process every day, giving us their best ideas. Mm -hmm. And we then have some oversight to say, hey, that one's out of bounds. Let's not do that. But then there, like you say, there's a lot where we say, hey, don't do it that way. But that idea has such merit. Let's see if we can figure that out. And we test in restaurants. So very often we might choose a test restaurant based on an operator uh, that 
you know, we tried something that right now we said, no, that's not food safe, but let's see if we can come alongside you and help do that. And so our best ideas come from the people who are working in the process every day. And really it's IE 101, go study the process of walk, walk the Gimba and see from the people who do the work where yeah. the problems are. Yeah. Now let's kind of back up to the other side of the equation because a lot of industrial and systems engineers, they're kind of in the middle. I kind of view them as like middle management. Like I used to be city editor of a newspaper and I was right between the executives and the reporters. And I always, lots of times I kind of felt stuck. Getting buy-in from the C-suite, was that something that was already in Chick-fil-A's culture when you appeared there when you were hired? Or is that something that you had to do some work on to get them to see the value of such a such a process improvement approach? Uh, it's a great question. First of all, uh, I- innovation is in Chick-fil-A's DNA, uh, all the way from Truett Cathy, you know, coming up with the idea of putting a full chicken breast on a sandwich mm-hmm. and, and selling it, uh, cooking it under pressure. There's so many things that Truett Cathy did, putting a restaurant in a mall and, and calling it a food court, all, all kinds of things that just started as the company. So he was the guy who did the food court? So so I think Piccadilly's and Morrison's were restaurants that were in malls, okay. but they were not fast. They were sit down, you know, a little bit different model. Uh, Greenbrier Mall in, in Atlanta. Um, yeah. Truett Cathy's sister was selling jewelry at a kiosk in Greenbrier Mall. And she said to Truett, who had, had two restaurants at that point, uh, she said in 1967, Truett, you need to be selling your chicken sandwich in the mall. And uh, he went, checked it out. Um, nobody thought that food would sell in a mall. And that was obviously short-sighted. <laughs> and also, uh, true it over and over and over. It's like, well, the mall's open on Sunday. We want people to be able to eat on Sunday. And true, it had a conviction that people ought to be able to rest and worship on Sundays. And so he mm, kind of made the promise uh, over and over and over again to malls. I promise you, we will make you more money in six days a week than any of your other tenants will in six, seven days a week. And he typically was right about yeah. that. And so all that to say, malls were an innovation. Uh, we didn't build our first freestander until 1986, I believe. Maybe, maybe wow. 80, Yeah, I think it opened in 1986. And uh, that was an innovation. Drive-through was an innovation. Not that not that we thought of, but we certainly adopted, you know, uh, along the way. Well, you're certainly, uh, in my experience, you're number one in court when it comes to drive-through experience. Well, thank you. I, you know, I don't have the numbers to back this up. Up, but I've thought through, are there, are there other places? But typically because uh, the average Chick-fil-A is doing five and a half million uh, today, and we do that in six days a week, where most chains are seven days a week, I believe we are the busiest lunch hour uh, of, of any restaurant there is. And we've worked hard to, to make that a fast, pleasant experience. Well, where did you come from before Chick-fil-A? Oh, good question. So I'm a mechanical engineer from Georgia Tech. Okay. And, uh, Rambling wreck. Yep. Yep. And so actually, I fell in love with with um, industrial engineering concepts in my senior design project. So shout out to um, Sam Shelton was my ME prof at Georgia okay. Tech. And he, uh, this is all energy and thermo and all of that was my, my right. you know degree. And so he was a consultant to the Weston Peachtree Plaza, the big round hotel downtown. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he would go to them and help them figure out the most 
efficient way to run their heat and air. Okay. And the way he did that is he would pose a question to his thermo students and say, I'm going to give you, I'm going to split you up in groups of three. I'm going to lecture to you for two weeks about the principles you need to understand. I'm going to give you the Georgia Power rate book and all of that. And then I want you to go out for two weeks and answer the question on the coldest day of the year, how should they heat the Western Peachtree Plaza? And he would lecture to us all the relevant physics factors that go into this. And then all, you know, 10 groups of three students each would write a paper on all the factors that go into it. And then he would go sell that solution, whoever had the best idea, to the Peachtree Plaza as a consultant. Wow. And I just loved that idea that physics and engineering could solve real-world business problems. Mm-hmm. Probably should have already known that when I started engineering school, but really it was that capstone class that that kind of convinced me, oh, wow, we we can help people save money. And I went to work for Michelin Tire Company right after uh, Georgia Tech, and they are huge on industrial engineering, kind of world-class in discipline, world-class in uh, using, uh, they, they call it the IE plan of action. Yeah, in fact, one of our members, Bobby Watts, heads uh, ergonomics up in Michelin okay. Spartanburg. All right. All right. So, so just great industrial engineers. And so I did that for five years with Michelin, loved every bit of it at Michelin, our goal was to reduce the cost of the tire. And so uh, primarily in in the role I happen to be in and taking out labor. So I've done lots of time studies, lots of tightening of standards, and uh, then kind of took a curve and went to seminary for four years and planted a church for 10 years and then uh, went through the recession and that kind of hurt church finances. Long story short, ended up needing a break back in engineering, ended up in mechanical engineering for a while. And then Chick-fil-A called me out of the blue, looking for a Michelin-style industrial engineer. There you were. And there I was. And so uh, I went to work for Chick-fil-A, primarily bringing what we call a command of the facts at Michelin, that information about every process. So systematically studying every process and compiling capacity models, you know, flow charts, uh, process flow diagrams, uh, all of this basic information so that then we can know where we are and begin to build a roadmap of, hey, where are our capacity bottlenecks going to be? Where are our space right. bottlenecks going to be? And so uh, I've been doing that for five years, still pinch myself every day that I get to to do it for a, such a great company. And I think I'm probably way off script now. Uh, we don't care about scripts here at IAS. We just care about telling your story. All right. You know, and, uh, and getting the word out about IASC and the great work that our members and our engineers are doing. For nine years, I edited the magazine, and I can't tell you how many times in my little bit of editorial at the front, I used the line, ISEs and industrial engineering can save the world because y'all are the ones who you're taking out waste. You know, if you're talking about trying to have less emissions, okay, less pollution, well, you and ISEs in charge of that, or at least on the team. Right. Um, Doing more with less. I thought it was marketing junk when I came to ISE. Then I started reading these stories I was putting in the magazine. I started editing the stories. I started writing the stories. I started interviewing people. I'm like, wow, there are actually numbers that back this up that say this works. So the more we can get the word out, I mean, tech with the scripts. (laughs) 
So what's next for the ISE and LSS teams at Chick-fil-A? Yeah, so uh, capacity is number one for us. So when I came in 2014, uh, we had just passed $5 billion in sales. In 2018, we ended the year at $10.6 billion. We had Those set, are nice numbers. Yeah, thank you. And, and uh, we had set a BHAG uh, in 2015 to reach 10 billion by 2020. And, and it was such a big goal for the company. And you, you think about, you know, where the company started and how long it took for them to get to the first, you know, 250 million mm-hmm. and the first 500 million and the first billion and the first 2 billion. Uh, everybody thought, well, that's a big goal to say we're going to double from five to 10. Hence big, hairy, audacious goal. That's big right. Ag. That's right. And so we actually beat that by the end of 2018. So, so we're finding out we're not thinking as big as, as, uh, uh, we've been blessed with customers. And so our goal in IE right now is to just make sure that we don't limit the business because we fail to see a capacity challenge before we get it. And mm-hmm. so uh, we have a roadmap of where all the prototypes, I told you we had about 14 different prototypes, right. where they break in terms of capacity all, all the way out as far as so we can like envision. It's like standard work for building for building a restaurant. And you know, this prototype, when it hits X, that's where its capacity can yes. Strain is, and that's when you need to either do a process improvement or maybe go to the next prototype yes, or whatever. Yes, and and for us, it's very much: does it break in chicken frying? Does it break in grilled capacity? Does it break in waffle frying? Does it break in customer service capacity? Does it break in that the dining room's too small? Does it break that we can't get that many cars on and off the lot? Does it break at the road? Um, you know, of people the trying road is to just get too off congested. the yeah, yeah. right, right off. You know, people trying to get in and off of our property. So, so our goal is we we've built a roadmap and said. Here's where everything breaks if we grow at the same rate we've been growing. And then we try to identify those problems five years before we hit them, because most of the things we're talking about are big development projects. We've grown from 1967 till now by adding one more fryer when when you grow to that point. We've filled up our restaurants now. So now it's going to be we need a fryer that cooks more chicken at a time or, or some other kind of step change. So it typically takes us five years to figure out and work with a vendor right. and and develop a new machine, typically unique to us because of the volumes we do. And so our goal is to figure out where the problems are five years in advance and then uh, understand what the problem is, imagine what solutions are, and then work with vendors to prototype and, and test so that we you know, don't stop the growth of the restaurant. Now, I first became acquainted with you in industrial and systems engineering at Chick-fil-A at the 2018 Engineering Lean and Six Sigma Conference in Atlanta. Went to your, uh, well, I squeezed in to your room, which was packed, and was really impressed. But how did you find out about us in Engineering Lean Six Sigma Conference and IASC? You know, because you're a mechanical engineer, so you probably didn't do a lot with us as a student. That's right. That's exactly right. I think the popularity of that session had to do with Chick-fil-A more than with me. Uh, Everybody loves uh, our product, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. So here's how I found out about you guys. Uh, So you're right. I was an ME. So I was in ASME all the way in school. Learned industrial engineering at Michelin and and actually thought they invented it. We didn't talk a lot about Toyota production system right. at that point. And, uh, and so it was kind of later that I realized, oh, this really kind of came out of Toyota and came out of Ford and, yeah. came, you know, all of mm-hmm. that. And, and I learned- There's a guy named Frederick, Frederick, Frederick Taylor, Taylor in 1911, principal yeah. of scientific management, so, the, the Gilbreths. Right, and, right. So it was it was later that I came to that. But uh, where, where I came to it is when I came to Chick-fil-A and I was hired as an industrial engineer and I'm just trying to make sure I haven't 
lost anything as mm-hmm. 10 years as a pastor, I came and took classes here at IISE. So I oh, took wow. uh, the PE review class, which I highly recommend. Five days, uh, kind of teach you the whole IE body of knowledge to get you ready for the PE right. exam. And uh, I think I've taken a lean class here online before. Okay. So it was through that that I honestly probably signed up for IE membership to get discounts on the classes. We offer that. I mean, it's okay. a good deal. You know, if, if you're a member and you even go to one conference a year, you've pretty much paid for, for your itself. membership. Yeah, you really have. Yeah. And both classes that I took were very high quality. I, I passed my PE exam after going through. We applaud you for <laughs> Thank that. Thank you. And I met several of you guys through that and was invited to come to the ELSS conference through meeting you guys. And uh, it was in Atlanta, so that made it really convenient. So I went and loved the presentations that I heard. Very practical, practicing IEs telling, you know, the goods about what they're doing in their industries. And so that's cross-pollination for a, for me to think about. And uh, also rich relationships. And so somebody, uh, I'm quoting somebody who said the ELSS conference is kind of a family conference in the aspect that a lot of the same people come back year over year. A lot of the people know each other. So really did make several contacts that uh, led to me writing the article, led to me uh, being invited to some groups to learn some more things. So... Um, yeah, I'm a I still fan. remember going up to you and saying, dude, please, please write for us, man. I think I said it a little more diplomatically than that, <laughs> but essentially that was my goal. Please, dude, write for us, man. Yes, this yes. would be a great article. So so I'm looking forward to uh, the conference this this uh, September in Houston. Because you you won best paper last year in Atlanta, and now you've quote unquote graduated and you're going to be one of our keynote speakers in Houston. How does that make you feel? You didn't know what we were five years ago. Yeah. So I think I feel like I've been in the right place at the right time. So, so the paper that I wrote was really just a, you know, when you think about lean, that it is meant to be done by the people who do the work that that they have a big piece of it. I just felt like we had a story to tell because of this Lean Facebook page, because we've got so many team members actively involved in Lean, because of the relief that it provides for a small engineering department, relatively speaking, you know, for the size that we are. Right. That really all I did was my paper was, hey, teach your frontline people how to do Lean and let it, you know, speak for itself. And so all I did was write down some things that, uh, you know, I'd seen at our company and it hit a nerve as far as people saying, wow, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be done. So I love that. So really, I'm just kind of in shock. Hope I can deliver this, this September with a keynote. You're going to be fine. So have you thought about your topic yet? No pressure because I got several months. It's well, not until September in Houston. So right now, I, about once a day, I, I put a little note into my phone of, hey, think about talking about this. Right. And uh, so right now, I've probably got about 20 topics that I, that I could talk about. But I'm really excited. The theme of the conference this year is Industry 4.0. Mm-hmm. And Chick-fil-A is ripe for that with 2,200 locations. And so really kind of what I hope to do is is uh, kind of show some things that we're starting to do and inspire everybody that I believe that is the wave of the future for industrial engineering, that we have the technology now to get access to more actionable data than we have ever dreamed of. To me, the, you know, the, the number one I think of, uh, uh, i.e., is you go out with your clipboard and your stopwatch and watch the process and, and, you know, see where the waste is. And this has the capability of just multiplying that 
that observation, you know, to 2,200 locations, 24 hours a day and figure out algorithms to tell us things we ought to be knowing that you can't observe in one store. Yeah, that's an interesting topic because honestly, even though the theme of the conference is Industry 4.0 and that is the wave of the future, I wouldn't have said, oh, fast food restaurants and Industry 4.0 because you're thinking of, you know, 3D printing and, you know, printing wings of airplanes and cars and electric vehicles, the Tesla, et cetera, et cetera. So tell me a little about Industry 4.0 and Chick-fil-A. Give me a little pre-seed. So definitely big data where we can get lots of data from the whole process, I think is going to be key. So I'll I'll just throw out a couple of things that we're either already starting to do, but uh, all of this we're kind of at the front end of. So we put Wi-Fi antennas on all of our fryers. And so now uh, we have the ability to run reports and see what is the uptime of our system at lunch hour. Industrial Internet of Things comes to your fried chicken. That's right. That's right. And so up until the last year, all of our capacity models were based on an average P-mix. So you didn't get credit if you skewed toward grilled chicken, if you skewed toward strips and those okay. kinds of things. They all have cook, different cook times. They use different machines potentially. And so now we can run a restaurant's actual transactions. And if an operator calls us and says, whoa, you guys' capacity models must be wrong because I can't keep up. I can actually pull his specific data, run it through a model on his thing and I can see does it does it break or does it not and it helps me get smarter of oh we're not accounting for this correctly or it helps me go back and say hey it looks like you're losing time in this way and it it starts a consulting conversation of how to how to help him run his equipment better that is amazing David and that's just that really is the wave of the future where you can find everything about a process just about through data as opposed to one person like in the old days standing there with a clipboard and a stopwatch, you know, even one person with a video camera. Now you can just get, it seems like you can get everything and it's actual data. It's not just looking. Right, right. It's the actual data of the uptime of this fryer you're talking right. about. Another thing you can do is obviously temperature of, of our uh, shipments to the restaurant is very important. If your chicken, uh, you know, gets hot on its way to us or gets hot in our thawing cabinet, then mm-hmm. uh, there's a food safety risk. Right. So there's lots of companies now that are putting uh, internet connected temperature monitoring so that we can see what the temperature of the product was all the way from, you know, from the factory so that we can just ensure. Yeah. And if you get that real time, if like, I don't know exactly what it is, let's say the the chicken is not supposed to go above 34 degrees. I'll just put that as a number out there. And you see the temperature rising on the way and it hits 33 degrees. If you've got that real time data, you can do an intervention before it gets above 34 degrees and messes up your product. Yep. Yep. And that, that's probably 10 years out where we could uh, capture something in that. But we can certainly know that it happened and keep you from serving it to a guest. Right. So so those are the kind of things we can do, you know, in the short term. And then uh, and then I'll just mention one other ones. I mean, the, the basic promise of, of Chick-fil-A is you get hot, fresh food. The hospitality is great. The speed is great. But if you don't get hot, fresh food, we've broken our basic promise to the customer. If your chicken sandwich is cold and slimy, you're not going back. That's right. And so hold times is something that uh, up until now has just been, you know, you set a timer and you rely on, you know, the integrity of the team member, on the Mm -hmm. memory of the team member, all of those kinds of things. And so now if we could get to a point where through vision, we can actually see when the chicken goes into hot holding and then we can uh, alert and say, hey, this chicken needs 
is it fit to be served anymore? All of those things now could be a whole wealth of data. And we found that if if we adhere to whole times, our taste scores, you know, they are immediately affected by whether somebody gets a less than 20 minute old yeah. sandwich or That's a real if it KPI was KPI that y'all track and That's it right. really makes a difference in the bottom line, people coming back. Right. Your name of your team is really cool. Understand, imagine. That's something that I would almost expect to come out of a Disney team name. <laughs> you know, Disney's a corporate partner of ours too, and we yeah. have a lot of IEs at Disney who are part of our who are who are part of ISC. So, where did that come from? Yeah, great. So uh, we probably stole it from Disney. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, we we do admire Disney and and very much their customer focused and and you know speed of service and all of that are things that we do you know try to learn as much as we can. Chick-fil-A has an innovation process, a lot of of companies do. And so our innovation process has five stages, understand, imagine, prototype, validate, and launch. Those are the steps you go through to solve a problem and turn it into business value. Kind of like Chick-fil-A's Demaic process. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so the first step is understand the problem. And so uh, that would be like, if we keep growing at the rate we're growing, we don't have enough fryer capacity to serve in these, you know, 300 restaurants. That right. might be a problem statement. And we actually go study all of that. Why are we not having enough capacity? Well, we built hoods 10 years ago that weren't big enough to add another fryer. So that's that's the core of the problem. So we either need to go out and change the hood, which is an right. expensive proposition, or we need a fryer that can cook more chicken under the same hood space or right. without a hood. Without overheating so, and, yep, get it, yep. and making the restaurant 90. 800 degrees. Right. Or make a machine that doesn't produce vapors, which require a hood and, you know, those okay. kinds of things. So that would be all understanding the problem. What is the problem we need to solve? And then imagine is, well, let's figure out what the possible solutions are. So this is concepts, uh, interviewing stakeholders, um, design thinking, figuring out what, you know, what might solve this problem. And so I lead my eight IEs who work for me, uh, they fulfill that role on their teams of understanding any problems that we're facing, imagining solutions, and they're skilled and, and trained in, in IE and, and in this design thinking. And then there's another group called Prototype. And so okay. once we've figured out the best solutions we can imagine, hey, it's probably we need not only for this current generation, we need to be working on a fryer that's going to cook more chicken long term. Right. And so they say, hey, we need a fryer that produces a lot more chicken than 24 batches every six minutes yeah, and or 24 fillets every six minutes. And so then we have come up with solutions. Maybe it's a conveyor belt. Maybe it's a river of oil, th- those kinds of things. And then we take it to prototype and we have mechanical engineers. We work with vendor partners. So the people who are experts in making fryers and say, here's our requirements that came out of Imagine. Help us build a prototype that could do this. And we work on that until we get one that works. Right now we're working on automated waffle fries that would come through a conveyor out of a freezer uh, with a gantry arm, automatically cook the fries and pour them in ready to serve. And it can do them with exactly the same amount of salt every time. And really the big catch is going to be, can we produce according to customer demand better than a team member can? Because a team member doesn't want to be yelled at. And the fastest way to get yelled at is to to run out of fries. But- 
An equal problem is if you serve the customer cold fries. So we need a system that can produce fries right according to customer demand. So that's just an you example. you got to match up that tag time with your machine. Exactly. Exactly. So we prototype something. And then once we have something we think's worth, then we validate it by going into restaurants. And we typically go into one restaurant, work all the bugs out. Then we go to three restaurants and make sure it wasn't just a fluke that that one's working. Then we go to 10 restaurants. And that's kind of our, hey, let's make this thing. That's your proof of concept where if it gets past the 10 restaurants, you scale, you've got your prototype, you've done your um, test case, then you scaled it up. And now if it works at 10, we can scale it beyond that. Yeah. And then we typically go to 50 restaurants. And and depending on what the kind of project is, there's certain things you learn at 50 that you didn't learn at 10. Really? Is the customer going to buy it? So a lot of times... We, if we come up with a new product, you can't decide if the whole country is going to buy it right. based on 10 restaurants. But a market, which is about 50 restaurants, will give us, are people willing to pay the price we've put on it? Do they like it? What do they like? And so after 50 restaurants, if it's passed all of those tests, then it rolls out to the whole chain. So if you came up with like a sriracha waffle fry product, I'm just putting two things that I really love together. Yeah, I don't I'm writing that exist. down right now. Um, <laughs> maybe that's only me who will buy it, but maybe it works at 10 restaurants, but you yeah. get it to 50 and it's like, no, they're sticking with old waffle fries. The sriracha waffle fries fries didn't work. And you can know whether to send that out to other markets. Cool. Well, this has been a really cool conversation. I've enjoyed it. Uh, My final question is usually this. Are there questions that I should have asked that I was too dumb to know to ask? I think we've covered a lot. Um, I, so I guess my final thought would be, I, I agree with you that uh, industrial and system engineers have a skill set that the world desperately needs in every industry. Uh, I think you can create a value for whatever process you look at with the basic skill set of lean. And so uh, I just would encourage people to learn all they can, think bigger than they have. What 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 tools are you not using that would be applicable to your in- industry? And uh, keep connecting with people, keep learning, just be the best value they can be to their industry. David, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show. 